This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. Hey guys, on this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, it's all about hunting out of state. Everything from chasing elk in Colorado, Midwest whitetails in Illinois, and caribou in Alaska. We go over everything you need to know about preparing mentally and physically for a hunt of a lifetime. We also finish up with Brandon Guillory telling us about his outfitting service in Southern Illinois called Primetime Outfitters, so y'all be sure to check them out on Facebook. But before we get started, we need to say a big thank you to our two sponsors. First up is Steve German's Taxidermy Art in Westlake, Louisiana, one of the absolute best taxidermists in the state, and the only one that's made it easier for you to transport your deer back into Louisiana by having a separate drop-off point in Orange, Texas for you to drop off your deer so you don't have to cape it out. And secondly is Cousin Smokehouse, big Louisiana company growing by the day. They're in over 400 shops so far and in every grocery store, archery shop and gas station that I can remember stopping in in the last three to six months. They're the home of the original pork jerky, some of the most flavorful and delicious and tender jerky you've ever had. So definitely something you want to be carrying in your hunting bag this season. So a huge shout out to them. And with that being said, let's get on to this week's episode. So this episode is going to be all about hunting out of state. We actually are going to release this one in front of a few other ones that we had pre-recorded just because of timing in the season, timing for seasons in other places who are already hunting right now. This is the beginning of September that we're recording this. But um, we're here right now with Brandon Guillory, who's from Patterson, Louisiana, and owns Primetime Outfitters, who's an outfitting service out of Southern Illinois. And we're also here with Ryan Saucier, who is a contributor for Louisiana Bowhunter 
and is in what five days going to Colorado? Seven days from today, next Friday. Seven days from today is going on an elk hunt, elk hunt, right? First elk hunt. Gotcha. So we talked about doing an episode with you and Harmon on out of state, but we can't because Harmon's currently on a bear hunt. Correct. In Colorado. It's a little, little, uh, problematic. Yeah. It's hard to get him when he's in the mountains, but, um, I've had a few people ask me about, you know, are you going to do anything on out of state hunting? And my answer to them is, is I think the first important part is that we have to acknowledge that hunting in Louisiana is not that great. Okay. Comparatively to other parts of the country. Now we are sportsman's paradise and we're phenomenal for fishing inshore and offshore freshwater fishing also, and then also duck hunting. But Deer hunting tends to fall a little further down that list of a preferenced dest- I don't think anybody says they're leaving Tennessee to go hunting deer in Louisiana or Kentucky, right? Nobody in Ohio is threatening to come deer hunting outside of, uh, you know, Cameron Parish. You know? Right. There's a few places in the state that can rival anywhere else, but not many people can no. get access to those places. You, you know, we got to know what we're good at and know what we're bad at. And deer hunting in the state is, while that's, you know, our main topic, we can't deny that it is better other places. And so this is something that I'm really interested in because I've never really been much of a destination hunter myself. Um, but I also think it's something that our listeners are interested in, both the ones that hunt out of state every year and then the ones that have been saying that they want to do it for a long time. So I've only ever hunted one place outside of Louisiana, and that was Alaska, which is we were talking before the podcast. You're like, man, you really skipped a lot of – you really <laughs> yeah, went over yeah. a lot of other places to go there. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, I can talk a little bit about that. But some of the topics we're going to talk about today, number one is preparation for a Western-style hunt, like what you're going on, right, Ryan. Right. Um, in addition to that, you also hunt in Illinois um, for whitetails. And it's a separate place from where Brandon has his outfitting service. And so we're going to end this conversation on going into detail of kind of Brandon's service, his company, how he got to Illinois from Louisiana. That was one of the first things I told my wife. I had two guys coming to do a podcast tonight. And she was like, wait, how would you get a guy from Illinois to drive down and meet you at the house? And I was like, well, he lives an hour from here. And she just, she couldn't understand it. Right. Where the big deer is at. Yeah, man. You go wherever the deer are. Right. So Ryan, let's start off by talking about what you've got coming up. What are you going to do? Well, uh, next Friday we are leaving to go to Colorado Neither of the four of us in our group have ever been elk hunting. We have been studying, working out, listening to other podcasts, just dreaming about it yeah. for the last year and a half. It's been uh, the fact that right now I can say it's in seven days doesn't make any sense. Yep. It's been a year and a half. It's been seven months. You know, it's the days doesn't make any sense right now. Who are you, who? Who all are you going with? So it's going to be kind of like two groups of two. Uh, me and my old uh, college roommate Lance are going as a pair. He's actually not even uh, bringing a bow. We split the tag and a bunch of gear. We're going as a, as a duo. He's going to be calling. I'm going to be shooting. That's cool. I mean, it's yeah. It'll, it's an equal part. It's both of our hunt. The only difference is I'm pulling the trigger. Yeah. You know, if his calling works and we get him in, yeah. It's I mean, he's done as much as he could possibly do, and that's my pulling the trigger is just a little little part. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Exactly. That's some pretty and much the same thing we do right in Illinois. You know, we get the thrill of the hunt just as much as the guy that comes up there and absolutely and sits in the stand. We put in the footwork and yeah, definitely. Yeah, you are going up with another guy, and wh- who are the other two people going? Well, the other two are two guys that I uh, I knew in high school. They were actually a little bit older than me, and uh, 
crazy thing. One of them just messaged me on Facebook, uh, like I think it was May of last year, mm-hmm. and just said, "Hey, would you be interested in doing a elk hunt in Colorado?" It's like he's like, "I see you, you know, you posting videos and pictures of bow hunting online all the time." And it's like, "I want to do it," and I, I just kind of, it's always something I wanted to do. I never thought I really could, and I said, "Why not? Let's just go." Yeah. So I, co- I committed to it, and I, I'm somewhat versed in this. I've never done a hunt in Colorado, but. You know, we all hear these things about like draw systems and tags and point systems and, right. and units and what does all this mean? Well, that Explain same that, that same people. thing. It was like that was overwhelming at first, but there there are a ton of resources, especially when you want to go hunt out west, on how to do it. Um, go hunt the website. It's a subscriber system. It can lay out all the points, draws, the odds, everything, the units. What's your best chances of getting it? Now, Colorado does have some over-the-counter units where you can put in for a draw, and if you don't get it, you can just get over-the-counter tag, mm-hmm. just like you go to Walmart and buy a license. Interesting. Same deal. Okay. Um, so we ended up looking at it. We had a couple spots picked out. We saw this one area on Go Hunt that was a draw, but in 2017 had a, or 2016 had a 100% success rate on the draw. Hmm. So all of us with zero points put in for it, and we got it. All four, you got it? Three. Three, yes. Okay. Oh, so your friend that Lance, he didn't draw out. Well, no, he, he wasn't planning on hunting it uh, in the first place. Okay. He, he doesn't have a bow yet. He wants to, but he just, uh, he's been wanting to do this as much as I have, and it's a good way to split the cost for us. Yeah, that's pretty neat. You know, we split the tent. We split the tag. We split a few other things like that. Yeah. So speaking of tent, that was going to be one of the things that I, I was going to ask you next is, where are y'all staying? How are y'all you finding shelter? Are you driving places and staying at a lodge or a hotel each night? How are you doing it? No, so we're going to be completely uh, out of a tent. Mm-hmm. We kind of we threw around the idea of actually backpacking in and camping, but this being our first time, our real first experience on any kind of western hunt or a mountain hunt, and even mountain camping and potentially cooler weather. Yep, we're setting up a base camp near the truck, and we're just going to plan on you know hiking in and out every day. That just seemed like the safer option at this point. But we also are set up that if we, like, see something, say we're six miles in, we see great sign, and we ha- we can also, for a day or so, go out there and camp. Mm-hmm. So we have one big base camp set up, but we also each have two small bivy-style tents. Okay. So can you can you pretty much camp anywhere in the unit, or is there only camping areas? As far as I can tell you, there are camping areas in there, but, like, if you can find flat ground and stuff, you can camp. You can go anywhere. So right. do y'all plan on staying near the truck each day, or do y'all plan on leaving the truck and going miles in? Oh, no, we back? we absolutely plan on leaving having, the truck behind. Having it, okay. Yeah, so, so like, I'll, ideally, I plan on kind of waking up pretty early. Mm-hmm. The first few days are going to be scouting, and it's, this goes for anywhere you hunt, whether it's elk or whitetail. It's one of the hardest things to do is not just jump on a tree, mm-hmm. but we need to find where the elk are going to be. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of want to hit some ridges call down them look for sign look for tracks wallows whatever it takes but once we find them then we can pinpoint where we need to be and at that point it'll be wake up early get to them when the sun comes up and try to make a move Mm -hmm. so have you ever heard the saying don't pass something on the first day that you would shoot on the last absolutely so so you say that you're going scouting the first few days that might be the the plan now but you'll have an arrow and your bow with you right as i told one of my buddies um a few days ago actually if we're setting a tent up and I see this cow come walking within 40 yards of us, I'm going to stick her. It's going to die. <laughs> yeah. My goal over there is to, I mean, I'm going to enjoy this, enjoy the mountain scenery, enjoy the hunt. It's going to be incredible. 
but I'm not going to pass up a, on a cow. I'm not going to uh, wait for a 400-inch bull. Yeah. I want to bring some meat home on the trip. So do you have an either sex tag? I do. Gotcha. Okay, so you can kill a cow or a I bull. can kill a that's cow. That's awesome. Yeah, I've got a friend of mine that, um, that's been elk hunting a ton of times. He's just as happy killing a cow as he is a bull. Now, the bulls are, what, I don't want to say significantly bigger, but maybe 25% or 20% larger than a cow sometimes. Yeah, probably so. I mean, that's, I guess I don't want to get the weights wrong here, but I mean, I think a really big bull is pushing over five, 500. Mm-hmm. And you have cows in the threes, three fours. Yeah. So, I mean, that's. Those are extremely big animals. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, you, Kate, Kate, out whole different ball game from whitetail. Absolutely, yeah, Kate. You know, once you once you clean it and gut it, and you have it deboned, deboned meat, you might have 150 pounds of meat. Right. You know, which is bigger than a doe and that's a, bigger than a, a, a walking <laughs> whitetail. Right. Right. <laughs> a lot of places, the whole thing. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. The other thing that's really interesting for me about hunting out of state and. I, I'm, I keep trying to convey this to people and really let people know how good we have it here. You generally have to draw out for an area, and, and there's not even a guarantee that you're going to draw out in an area at all in, in, your, in that state or in, in certain states. And so there's some years that you might want to bow hunt as bad as you want to, but you just can't. You yeah, do correct. not. Ha- you were not selected for a tag or a lottery system or whatever. However, the selection process goes or points or whatnot, the state just says no. We only we're only right. giving out thirty tags of something this year. Correct. You're not in the thirty. And so when you think about Louisiana, I I don't see that going over well. Imagine if John Bell Edwards came over Facebook Live and was like, "Hey guys, uh, we're only issuing three thousand whitetail tags this year." sucks to suck right yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean there would be an uproar if it went down from six to three deer exactly yeah, yeah. much less a people, limited yeah, number people of tags would act like it, you're, people would act like you were like starving them to death you would change your mind though on that six deer limit if you go up west yeah i Completely mean it's agree. a whole different ball game up there you have guys that sit out on one tag all year you're mm-hmm. talking about one buck states yeah you you want to make it count is Illinois the state that there's no rifle season? It's only It's only shotgun slugs? It's slug, shotgun, and muzzleloader. And it, it has to be a traditional muzzleloader. We don't have the 4570. Not this BS that we've got here. This is this is real muzzleloader actually put a pellet in a bu- <laughs> something right. in the end. Yeah. Correct, correct. Um, You're limited to in your range about 200 yards max. I mean, with today's technology, they do have a couple muzzleloaders that claim they can shoot further than that, but – you're limited to, to about 200 yards. Yeah. And that's a far shot and still. It, yeah, it's a, that's a poke. Well, and, sure. and they've still got rifled shotgun barrels yeah. that will shoot just as far. Correct. With Correct. scopes and everything. Yeah. I don't know if any of y'all have ever seen this, yes. but it's kind of wild looking. We're used to relating a shotgun to either uh, deer hunting with dogs maybe or duck mm-hmm. hunting and squirrel hunting only. Mm-hmm. And that's like – that's the limit. That's it. But imagine seeing a shotgun with a Leopold three by nine scope on exactly. it, yep. shooting a uh, what is a Sago slug? What uh, is it? Sabbat. A Sabbat yep. slug. Sabbat shooting slug. a Sabbat slug. You can tell how much I know about this. I don't <laughs> right. know what it's called. It's pretty incredible that they there's an entire state out there, and I don't even know if Illinois is, is the um, the only one that has no rifle season. No rifle. No, I don't even know. Do they even sell them? No, they sell they rifles, yeah, because for uh, predator control and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But you can't hunt deer with them, and you only have 10 days to get it done with really? a firearm, period. Totally right. You have All firearms. All firearms. You okay. have seven days to get it done with a shotgun, and then you have three days to get it done with a muzzleloader. 
Interesting. So what's the logic behind that? Why is it like that? Is it a safety reason or what? In my opinion, like, well, the population is great and you see a lot of, you see a lot of deer when you go, mm-hmm. but also you can set up a stand on the edge of a cornfield and it wouldn't be hard to see 25 deer that day. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you had a rifle for three months, like we have here, it would be sit and stand, shoot a deer, yeah. climb down. Mm-hmm. Not to say it's a bad thing, but there would be absolutely zero challenge to it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause you can set up on a food source and, November, late November, whenever it gets cold, and every deer on the property will hit that food source Correct. at some point throughout the day. Because there's a lot more open area than there are trees. Yeah. Over here, they can, they can walk within 30 yards of you, and you never see them. Yeah. Over there, the tree, is, the, the tree line is 30 yards wide, and that's it. Huh. So Interesting. So I flew into uh, Dayton, Ohio for work a few months ago, and then went from Dayton to... Uh, Indianapolis and then Columbus, a couple areas around there, kind of in the Midwest in general. And it was the, one of the things that I kind of laughed about in my head was along the interstate, it, it, was, it was like the same farm was copied and pasted every mile. Yeah, it, was, it was Red Barn, White House, Cornfield. Silo. <laughs> and not many trees. Silo, yeah. And not many trees. <laughs> yeah, no trees. Yeah, it was, it was all, all cornfield, but it was literally like copy and paste. Same White House, Red Barn, two silos, cornfield, copy, paste. Yep. Over and over and over. And the other thing that was interesting, and I haven't been to Southern Illinois, but um, I noticed that a lot of the billboards are like hundreds of yards into the field. Have you noticed that? They are. So where, well, this is a different area from where y'all were, y'all were but they didn't have roadside billboards like we have here. They're like 200 yards, like in the cornfield, like way, like you, like almost where, like where we're at. It's pretty remote. It's yeah. population about 150 people gotcha. in the town. It increases when y'all show up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gotcha. They, just, they just need to print a flyer. There's no billboards. Yeah, there's no billboards. Yeah. Well, this was this was headed uh, kind of east to west to Indianapolis and back to Dayton again. But anyway, I, I would imagine it being the Midwest as a as a whole. It was kind of similar to yeah. that. Very. This is what they call flyover states, right? right? Yeah. This is what they were. This is what Jason Aldean is referring to. <laughs> now, Ryan, you have been you've been hunting out of state for a good while, haven't you? Tell me, tell us a little about some other places that you've gone. We have a lease in Mississippi. We hunt fairly regularly. It's a it's a good place for like just a family interaction place. Nothing. We go all the time, but it's not like a necessarily a trophy area. Mm-hmm. Recently, my dad and I have been going to a lease we picked up in western Oklahoma. We're near the Texas border. Mm-hmm. Some family friends had it, and they invited us to go out there, and we uh, joined up on it. You would never expect to see deer. It's sandy. It's You can't find a stand to put a tree in. It's A stand to put a tree in? Like, I'm serious. The, a tree the, to put a stand in? That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So it's it's uh it's just it, kind of desolate, huh? Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's um you wouldn't think anything of it, but then you sit there and then early morning and late evening, it's like a single file line of just deer everywhere. Mm-hmm. But there's a limited resource. There's a few green fields that have a irrigation systems. There's a small creek. Mm-hmm. And they need those things. Even though it's it doesn't look like much the deer population is insane. Same with the turkeys. That's like like hunting cattle in a sense. In a sense, but they also could just, they somehow find a way to stay, stay away from you. Yeah. The does will make, make their way right by, but you'll see that buck about 60 yards off going through a briar patch and then disappearing. Hmm. You know, actually I want to go back to something that, uh, I meant to ask you about Colorado. Um, so y'all are camping 
each night y'all are going, like you said, as far as you need to be away from the truck, which is what I have heard about hunting there. And, and I, even though I haven't been, my father-in-law lives there. My wife is from Colorado. She's from Glen, uh, she's from Glenwood Springs. He's always explained to me that a lot of the locals will only go a couple hundred yards off the side of the road. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they're not, you know, we're kind of in this era of hunting where, and I think this is because of social media one, but also companies like Sitka and Kuyu and First Light and whatnot, but where, where the hunt, killing something is like the lowest thing on the priority list. It's almost the, the adventure, the journey, right? And so we're, you know, with new companies like Onyx Maps and technology that we have these days and the ability to scout from the internet and social media, you have people that are sometimes going unnecessarily far, just out of principle almost. I've, I've considered that. I've been looking at places and like, this looks good, but it's it's only two miles from where we're camping. And I'm, and I'm only to, two. Yeah. Right. And I'm thinking back, like, why would I pass up some of these places and not mm-hmm. give them a shot? Well, something, another interesting thing, thing about Colorado, and I did get this from my father-in-law, is that the local feeling towards four-wheelers is very negative. They kind of look at it as ruining the, um, they call it BLN, B- Bureau of Land Management Land. Right. right. Um, and which was very confusing about two years ago when Black Lives Matter was big. They use the same acronym. Yeah, right? BLM. You'd have people talking about BLM and how we're losing all BLM. And then you're like, wait, this which, which BLM <laughs> These are, different are we things, talking right. about? Right. But a lot of people are upset about the popularity of four-wheelers. And it's not like these things just came out this year. But you've got side-by-sides and you've got um, more powerful units than what they had in the past 5, 10, 12 years that will pretty much get you anywhere. Right. right? And, and the problem isn't that people are riding them during hunting season. It's that people are scouting on them and it is this big, giant flag to all the animals in the area that hunting season is about to start. Right. Yeah. And, and so the other really interesting thing about Colorado is... DNR agents, uh, Department of Natural Resources, they know where just about every animal is. Oh, yeah. It's wild. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's it, like, uh, I, and I, I think about it comparatively. Like, imagine if, imagine if the head of wildlife and fisheries was just came out and told you, there are 3,004 deer in Area 2. In Area 8, there are 1,796. And in Area 3, where it's a down year, you can only have three tags. They know exactly where these things are. Well, what really helps with that, especially with... So, you know, elk per se, they're herd animals. Mm-hmm. So when he's spending that much time out in you know these land, the public lands or even private lands, you're gonna see the herd pass through, and you get a good idea of like, okay, there's a couple really good good bulls in there. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of go, goes back with like Larry Reynolds, how he flies over. I was just and does say the that. stuff yeah, with the, the duck ducks server. every year. It's the same thing, the same thing with the ducks and stuff. The surface drives. You're just talking about it's the same thing. You're yeah. talking about the four wheelers. It's the same thing everybody in Louisiana complains about. Correct. They're they're stuck in their old ways. It's new technology coming through. Yeah, uh, and I mean, Brandon, you know me, man. I'm I'm a big surface drive guy. I have been for years, and uh, even I've kind of almost gotten to a point where I'm like, oh, this is becoming it, a problem. It's a double edged sword. When I'm getting beat to a duck hole at 4:30 in the morning by a 17 year old kid that has never paddled a piro in his life. It hurts, huh? That's when I'm like, oh, this has gone a little bit too far. Yeah. So, yeah, that feeling of, of disdain towards a vehicle that, that the, the locals might have is, is very similar to our surface drive issue. Well, know? we're actually, um, I think it's a little beneficial where we're going to a wilderness area, which they don't allow any vehicles off the road. I mean, you can take a, you can take a four-wheeler down, a, you know, there might be a, uh, 
a sanctioned road that goes through the uh, unit. But just because maybe it's snowed or muddy, you can't get a truck down it. But you cannot mm. get off that road. So that's one thing that I think is going to help. There's a lot of hiking trails. We, yeah. And I've been looking. Apparently, where we're going is a is a very active uh, fall hiking season. Mm-hmm. So that could be interesting. A couple of bright colors um, walking around the trails. But awesome. Uh, <laughs> that's fun. But hey, Great. it's just one more thing you got to get away from. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You do. You. It's another thing to avoid. Use and it to your advantage if you see some people walking around. Yeah. Get somewhere else. So. Exactly. This, so this is another interesting part about going on a hunt like re- what you're doing, and also it kind of leads to how some of us may be in Louisiana. Somebody told me a few years ago, and this has stuck with me, that when you buy, you have a $50,000 truck and you have a $15,000 side-by-side or a $22,000 mud boat to get somewhere, or it doesn't matter what it is, when you spend an exorbitant amount of money on something, you generally want to use it to its fullest. And because of that, people are it's like a race to the back of the property to the furthest deepest part of a WMA because there's also this belief that the farther I go in the less chance I have of running into somebody and it reminds me of a hunt I made in Sherburn about three years ago where I went in I mean way and I only go in Sherburn by boat I don't even bother I try and get as far away from the four-wheeler trails as I can but I go in by boat I was in there let me tell you, I was back there. I was pulling up and I was like, hell yeah, I'm not going to see nobody. Right. And about, and this was during, um, either sex weekend, which is a, a zoo on any WMA, but especially server. I can imagine. It is a yeah. shit show of people in there. I got up, I got up around three fifteen, three thirty, maybe is when I climbed up in my tree and I was not far from the water's edge. I was kind of using it as a, a pinch point where I was hunting and around 4.30, guy pulls up in a mud boat, in a, in a duck boat. And I don't know how he did not see my boat, but he parked within 25, 30 feet of it. Because I kind of parked it in some buck brush. And he got out and kind of slammed his gun box down and threw his rifle over his shoulder and put his hip boots on and his orange jacket. And I'm, I'm literally 50 yards from him. I'm watching him the whole time. And I'm also in the tree in an orange jacket. I'm bow hunting, but I'm not dumb enough to go in the woods during <laughs> right. either sex weekend rifle season in Sherburne without an orange orange uh and he he walks right up underneath my tree and then he sees me and he looks up he goes oh hey man i didn't see you up there and then he goes you seen anything i was like just some guy in a boat yeah. <laughs> you know like and i and in my head i wasn't actually i wasn't mad at him I was I was like man I thought I was far enough. You're just mm-hmm. upset with the effort you put in that. Yeah, and then else went and there. then a totally different feeling was well, I came pretty far back here and so did he. I got to have some respect for him. And then when he shot something about 35 minutes later and then asked me to help him drag it out, I wasn't very happy about that because I I felt as if he had cut me off. But but anyway, my point is is that we we buy expensive equipment. And this doesn't matter if it's public land or private land or whatever, but we hear this thing that I think we all are too afraid to test out because we don't want to waste a day that some of the best hunting's done within a couple hundred yards of the parking spot or or the road. And so there's two ways you can look at these locals in Colorado. Like, are they, are they idiots for not going farther or are you the idiot? You know what I mean? Are you the one that's going farther than you have to? Well, there's, I mean, there's no right way about it, but doing something different than everyone else is usually going to be beneficial when it comes to hunting on public land. Yep. 
So, if, I mean, if you see a parade heading five miles into the woods, hang back a little bit. Because yeah. all they're going to do is push them out and around. Mm-hmm. And that works for, I mean, that's anything. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So you're you're going to be camping. Y- are y'all going to be camping and then cooking your meals and everything on wherever you are and then hunting? Like a progressive movement type of thing? Like bringing everything with you as you hunt? Um, we're going to be bringing like a, day, a day's worth of meals and, you know, little emergencies rations. But like I've made some shakes that mm-hmm. I will drink in the morning as a breakfast. There are a thousand calorie shakes, mm-hmm. tons of different things. And just because I was reading some stuff online saying – a 200-pound man can expend about 6,000 calories a day elk hunting. Yeah. So, like, you need to get that, get ahead of that so you're not, you know, um, malnourished. We're going to do that, and then we have um, pretty much laid out six meals a day. It's a, like, a beef jerky or a uh, mm-hmm. summer sausage snack, uh, some kind of sandwich for lunch. Yeah. Some uh, mixed nuts for another snack, and then we have Mountain House and a few... Uh, prepared meals to have back at the camp. Now, what are you doing for water? Water, we have, we each have a three liter uh, water bladder as well as a water jug. I mean, uh, you know, a regular 32 ounce jug to drink from. Mm-hmm. We both, well, we all going to have a uh, water filter and iodine tablets just, just for in whatever case you come across. Right. Stream, yeah. Yeah. That. And the way I, my plan is if I, I'm planning on drinking out of the bottle first. Mm-hmm. And if we find some water later on, I'm going to refill it. Keep filling it. it. Yep. Yeah. Something that was interesting for me in hindsight when I went went to Alaska, I'll, I'll tell, kind of tell my Alaska story here in a few minutes, but um, I didn't know how many calories we were burning. Like you say, it's 6,000. I'm two, more than 200 pounds. So it could be 8,000 <laughs> for me. Uh, the thing that was interesting for me was uh, you were obviously packing very clean foods, clean fuel to eat and burn. Right. But the thing – you know, not to get gross or anything, you don't have to go to the bathroom as often. You will pee a lot because, well, I, well, sometimes it depends on how hot it is. If you're sweating out, you won't. If you aren't sweating out, you will pee a good bit because you're drinking a lot of water. But as far as going number two, it's almost like your body knows that it's in a situation that it needs to it needs to get more nutrients out of well, what you're t- intaking. You're using that fuel up. Yeah, that's and so there's a dis like from living a regular day. Like, you know, regular living in a house, eating lunch and eating dinner and eating breakfast and not expending a lot of energy. There's a disproportionate amount of excrement, right, <laughs> to how much you intake. It's it's crazy how well, your body just does this on its own. You're also eating higher calorie foods like mm-hmm. per per volume. Yeah. You know, like there's some of these little, uh, I think it's called Pro Bar, where we're looking at. They can fit, you can fit two of them in your hand and they're like 800 calories. Wow. You know, that's that's a full meal something. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and then the, the probably the biggest perk of that for you is from a weight standpoint. Pack weight. Well, that's why I asked about water was, you know, you're going to be in the woods on a mountainside. When I was in Alaska, we were floating a river. We had mm-hmm. we had more water than anything else. Mm-hmm. So you're looking for lightness. You're looking for high calorie and things that will hold you over. Right? right. Because I know myself and I sweat a lot. Mm-hmm. And I won't sacrifice water. That's why people talk about bringing a jug or a bladder, and I'm doing both. Yeah. Because I know the humid- the lack of humidity should help me, but I was outside the other day, just I set the tent up and I was spraying it down with a silicone spray. And when I was taking it down, I was dripping sweat onto it, mm-hmm. which was rolling off, which was nice. Yeah. But I was just I was just w- sitting there and thinking about how much I can't wait to be in this 30% humidity rather than 90. <laughs> yeah. You know? 
it's it's like it's kind of like visiting a different planet in, yeah. in a sense. I, I have something that I've been wanting to do for a while, and I just got this in. So Cousin Smokehouse is one of our uh, sponsors of the podcast, and they've been um, they've been with us since the beginning. And one of my personal pet peeves about podcasts is really poorly pre-recorded, repetitive commercials. Okay, and so what I told. Uh, cousin Smokehouse I was going to do was I said, look, send me a couple bags. I'm not just going to eat it because I like it because I do like it. I'm going to have my guests on the podcast eat it and try it on the air for the first time. And we talked about this a little bit before. We're all looking at the bag right <laughs> yeah, now. I'm just, just like staring waiting at it. for it. Y'all haven't tried this before. Yeah. Now, Brandon, this is in Bodyland Bowhunter. Correct. You had Brandon Cormier's shop in yep. Broussard. And this is in, I mean, there, Scott. This Scott told me two months ago with Cousin Smokehouse that they're in over four hundred stores. That's that was impressive. two months ago. It, they could be well over that by now. Anyway, this stuff is catching on like wildfire. They just went through a new packaging. Um, but Cousin Smokehouse has a a seasoned pork jerky uh, is kind of their specialty, and they actually just came out with a new a new flavor called Cane Fire, which I don't have. That we have the traditional. But anyway, we're gonna try this, and y'all are gonna be my guinea pigs on trying this for the first time on the air because this is something that I think is like the perfect addition to people's hunting packs. And then in your case, I'm sending a bag to Colorado with you. So here, Brandon, you try that out, man. And I'm gonna eat some too. And I know it's a big no-no to like eat on the air, but when you're probably testing a pork jerky, you kind of don't have another choice. So, what do you think? I think it's delicious. I mean, the first thing I noticed is the texture, which is totally different than I was expecting, but it's like in a great way. Yeah. You don't rip your teeth, teeth off trying to bite yeah, it. Yeah, it's real moist for like a jerky style. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting a harder piece of jerky. Yeah. It's it does, really good. It, yeah, it does look like it would be a little more firm than it is, but that's the thing is that it's a tender, flavorful pork jerky. It's how we've always described it and how they, descri- they describe it. But the cool thing about this is that they are very much in line with the companies that we're trying to support now as Louisiana Bowhunter. They originated in New Iberia, right? So they are a Louisiana company. I mean, it's got Louisiana on the packaging. Yeah, try some more. Well, <laughs> Please, take some more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, this is honestly the first time I've ever had it, and stuff's really good. Yeah, check it out. I've got, a, I've got another bag for you to take to Colorado with you. You can put it in your pack, but, I mean, it weighs two and a half ounces for the whole bag. I can you probably know. handle that. Yeah, that, I think you can. <laughs> you can find, make room for that. You can make room for that. It's. I think it's a perfect addition, not just from a western hunt, but just a regular deer hunt or a duck hunt in general. Absolutely. You know? And that's what we've been talking with cousins about. Is they've they've been focusing a lot on the fishing market and outdoorsmen in that direction. And I was like, man, have you done anything with deer hunters? Have you not done anything with duck hunters? And he said, no. So here we are. Yeah. So that now you've tried it. Now you got not got some to take back with you um, on your hunt. I look forward to. Sending Scott some pictures of it once. Uh, I'll once make sure to back. get a get a big 400 inch bull with a bag in front of it. Yeah, you know, that's it. I couldn't placement. have done this without. That's you got to have. He's to save that bag. You he's yeah. he's not gonna have the bag unopened by then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, no, the bags will be holding other things by that point. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that was our that was our shameless plug for our sponsor, Cousin Smokehouse, because we appreciate them sponsoring the podcast, but also we believe in their product and it's absolutely yeah, delicious. It's as really well. good. Yeah. So let's switch gears a little bit. I, I like I said, don't have a lot of experience hunting out of state, but what I have done is two years ago, right now, I actually thanks to Facebook, which is they have this awesome memory reminder thing, this day on or something, what it's called on this day. I was just returning home from my Alaska trip this time two years ago, August of 2016. And what we did was it was my father-in-law and one of my, my best friends, Mike Owens. We went on a nine-day excursion. 
like uh, think the type of thing Teddy Roosevelt would do in 1915, right? In the early 1900s, like the excursion, if you break your leg, you're probably going to die type of situation. So we flew into Anchorage, Alaska, and then flew into Fairbanks, Alaska, drove 45 minutes to a small town where we met a bush pilot. And um, in a Piper PA-18 Super Cub, which is a bush plane with 35-inch Tundra tires. I was going to say the big old tires on big, them. Bounce. Big Tundra tires. We went on a caribou hunt and we didn't want to do a guided hunt. It was DIY, but we kind of had a cheat code because my father in law was a wildlife and fisheries biologist in Alaska for a long time before he moved to Colorado where my wife was born. So he knew a little bit about the backstory in the area. We flew in by bush plane, all three of us, one at a time, into the Good Pasture River and flew in uh, it was i was the first person to fly in on a friday evening i flew in with nothing but a tent a water purifier one freeze-dried meal a bottle of water my fishing rod a sleeping bag and a rifle and my 45 sig sig semi-auto um because bears big um, big, big bears and I had said for a long time that I wanted to spend the night in Alaska by myself. I didn't care if it was in the beginning of the trip or at the end of the trip, but because of the process of flying all the gear and people in and out, there was a large chance that we couldn't all be flown in in the same day. And that's what happened. Due to weather, they flew me in around 8.30 at night, um, and it doesn't get dark in Alaska at that time of year until about 10.30 at night, and then it gets light at about 4.30 in the morning. So I flew in, and I'm a big guy, and I consider myself to be pretty adventurous. So I was pretty pumped up about this. And bush pilots are really great at landing planes in very short, small areas. They're not so great with the customer service side of things. And so um, I'm pretty adventurous. And so my bush pilot, he uh, lands. It's like small rock gravel sandbar that we land on and drops me off. Doesn't say anything to me the whole flight in. Doesn't say anything to me once we land. He just takes my stuff out of the plane, flips the plane around, and goes, now don't you go wandering off now. Gets in his plane and flies off. Okay. And like I said, I consider myself to be a fairly adventurous human being, and I did not go about 100 yards from camp until the rest of my party got there because when somebody that has grown up in Alaska their whole life tells you don't go anywhere, you pretty much – take that to heart because I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'm now by myself. Now I'm waiting for the rest of my party to come in. So I was thinking the next morning, first light, I would start hearing airplanes. I would start hearing like my father-in-law flying in and Mike flying in and, and the raft and the gear being flown in and all that stuff. Eight o'clock, nothing. Nine o'clock, nothing. Noon, nothing. Two o'clock in the afternoon. Like this is the part where, like, you know, when we're kids and you're growing up watching cartoons, and in, in the cartoon, there's some for some reason the settings in a desert and people start seeing an oasis. Mm, right. right. People start seeing. You had a things. mirage. Yeah. So I kept thinking I was hearing an airplane engine, and I never was, and it kind of messes with your head, by the way. So around three thirty, the first flight comes in, and this is how different the, the weather is in Alaska. Where I was was bluebird sky, beautiful, no rain. Where they were, 45 minutes away by plane, fogged in, couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And so they had to wait for that to burn off until they flew in the rest of our stuff. But long story short, we did a nine-day float trip raft. We hunted at that airstrip 
where we were dropped. And when I say airstrip, I don't, no other plane landed there the whole time we were there. This is an airstrip from the 1950s, which is really just an area where they cut down a bunch of trees on a gravel bar. That's mm-hmm. what this, we're calling an airstrip. Okay, so if you're thinking like asphalt with a white line in the middle and an ATC tower. Not so much. No, huh? not so much. This is like uh, the best place to put a plane down. And so we hunted five days out of there, saw a few caribou. But the problem with caribou, they're, just, they're herd animals just like elk. And you are only in, in relation to, to caribou, you're in all, only in two places. You're either in front of them or you're behind them. There, there really isn't an in-between. Mm-hmm. They're either passing through or they're going to pass through or they have passed through. And so for we floated 37 miles over the next nine days by raft, all three of us in a Whitewater Rapids raft. Um, we camped every other night after the five nights. So we camped three or four nights after um, we took off downstream. I cannot express to you, this is hard to fathom, and I was there, it was hard to fathom. Imagine for 35 miles, every single blank spot of sand, sandbar, mud, any place that a track could be left, there was a caribou track. I don't mean like one every five or six feet. I mean like on top of each other, side by side with each other. They were everywhere. And... I don't think I was really prepared for how large of a herd caribou are, but this herd that we were hunting was a, a herd of 10,000 caribou. And the other crazy thing about caribou is they don't migrate north to south in the wintertime. They don't, they're not migrating to warmer temperatures. They are, so, they are so many caribou that they actually create their own ecosystem within themselves that it has a higher temperature. It has a higher number of bugs than anywhere else. And so they are so torn up by bugs and gnats and horse flies that they go north for reprieve they go north to freeze everything out it's is cra- what they do crazy and so and then when it and then when summer comes they come back south and because they're going to get eaten up up there just like they would down south but they come back south for food but they are a tundra dwelling animal and we were just happening to hunt them in a mountainous area that they were walking through the crazy thing about this trip was uh the morning that i was waiting for them to fly in I had like the most, if you listen to the podcast about Frank Sullivan and how he, he described his deer, he calls Under Armour, how he was just beautiful and majestic and, and you, like he just wanted to pet him and he was just like this, like it's almost like he had beams of sunlight coming out of it. Well, around nine o'clock that morning on the airstrip, about 10 caribou came through. And, and I'm bow hunting, but I have the deer rifle, the 338 that my father-in-law was hunting with. And so they were going to fly my bow into me. And um, I had the rifle, I had it out, and about uh, nine cows came, no, about seven cows came through, two calves, and they crossed the river, and, uh, and then behind them was just the most elegant animal I've ever seen in my life. It was a gorgeous, velvet-antlered caribou um, bull, and he was just huge. And if you want to know what a caribou looks like, a caribou is a reindeer. A reindeer right. is a caribou. Correct. It's, it, a reindeer is a... Uh, domestic caribou is all it is. So if you've ever believed in Santa, you know what a caribou looks like. Um, and so anyway, this thing comes across the airfield and I have the rifle in my hand and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I was like, well, they'll probably be here any minute. I'd hate to ruin the hunt. And uh, it, five days later, we didn't see another one. Oh, that hurts. We did not see another one at that spot. We saw a couple at a few hundred yards, like from a mountaintop, like looking down on a valley, but Nothing within range, definitely nothing within bow range. And then on the seventh day, we woke up downstream 
and um, I was starting to get pretty pissed off at this point in time because it, it really sucks to be on the backside of a herd that you just flew 3,000 miles to hunt. It's right. not, it's mm-hmm. a hard thing to accept in the moment. And so they were cooking breakfast at camp and I went downstream where we were camping and it went about a hundred yards downstream and I had my camera and I was taking some pictures of just the area. Cause it's, I mean, it's people say Louisiana's God's country or Texas is God's country or Georgia. Everybody has their own wherever opinion. You grew up. Wherever you grew up is God's country. Cause you think it's the most beautiful. Alaska is unbelievably gorgeous. And so I was taking pictures of everything. And I turn around, and there's a caribou crossing the river, coming straight towards me from across the river. And the river's only about 80 yards wide. Okay. And when I say river, I mean like rolling rapids, maybe two or three feet deep at the deepest point. There's a caribou bull by itself crossing the river, coming right at me. And I'm 100 yards down river from camp. I'm frozen. Like, imagine buck fever times 50. I lost all functionality in my body and my movements. I just could not move. I was, at, in my mind, I was a tree at that point in time. And I turn around, and I'm just like, oh, my God, this thing's coming right at me. And then my next thought was, I don't think they see it. Like, up, up at camp, I right. don't think they see it. And so this thing gets within 25 yards of me, and it is 10 yards from my bank. And when he clears the bank on my side, he's gone. He's in the woods. We'll never see him again. So I stand up because I was kind of hunched over this whole time. I stand up and I start screaming at this caribou. Like, hey. Then I'm screaming. I'm screaming at the caribou and waving my arms, trying to push him back into the river. And then I'm also screaming at my father-in-law to shoot the freaking thing. <laughs> right. You know? Alert the like, people with the gun. Do y'all not see this? You know? And right when I stand up and I wave, that animal picks his head up. And I don't know who was more shocked, me or him, right? Because he's never seen anything like me before. <laughs> and I've never seen anything like him before. And he turns to his right to run back across the river to run away from me. And right when he turns, my father-in-law pulled the trigger and shot him. 20 yards from me. Now, granted, they could not see me. All the, Just from where I was and where they were, I was on the same bank that they were, and the, the caribou's in the river, right? Right. But I wasn't concerned about losing the deer or getting shot. I was concerned they weren't going to see it, and I was going to have to tell them we just passed on a caribou. And they would never yards. believe you, of They course. would have never believed me. I, like, I, I would have been like a five-year-old that you just don't believe what he says, you know? And so we shot it, and, um, and he had put, it, put another shot in it to get it down, but it died in the river. And so that was the only caribou that we killed on the hunt because we never had any within bow range, which was kind of upsetting. But, I mean, overall, the whole experience was just ungodly. Um, and we floated another two days and uh, got picked up by bush plane on the way out and flew, flew back to, drove back to the airport. And, and uh, my father-in-law was driving back to Colorado, so he took the caribou down with him. But that's my caribou hunting story. That's the only story I got for hunting out of state. It's a pretty, that's, pretty, that's, uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting good. story. That's the it's only good. one. So one. Uh, I, don't, I haven't whitetail hunted in Kentucky. I've never been, you know, rabbit hunting in Texas. I've never any of that. I've always been pretty stuck in my stubbornness of trying to trying to squeeze it out in Louisiana. And it's and I can usually pull it off every year, but it's not easy. Ryan, you have a really interesting story about your whitetail experience uh, hunting out of state last year. Why don't you tell absolutely. us about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so this was, I think, the fourth or fifth year we were hunting uh, in Illinois. By this point, I spend months out of the year on Google Earth on my computer, mm-hmm. just looking at where is that deer? Where was a deer I'm going to 
what's the best place to catch one? When we got there, first thing we did is we went to these traditional spots where we both, uh, both my dad and I have seen good deer and killed deer. And I set the stand up and just, the first one I set up and it just didn't feel right. I mean, I had, it was pretty, it was a pretty hunt. There was, uh, it was cold, a little foggy morning. I had turkeys roosted like in the tree with me and they just landed right on the side. It was great, hmm. but I didn't see much for deer. And just something told me there was this one spot that I wanted to check out. It was, I mean, hunting over here in big woods and, you know, back home, there's no, there's no pinch points per se from where, but like this was just the, the, the definition of a pinch point. So we go there and we look around. There's a few little, there's some trails here and there. There's some, uh, rubs and there's one tree that kind of looked like I could potentially, uh, set up in it. So I got up in there and like had to twist my body around some limbs, got the stand set. And this was about noon. We went back down, grabbed some lunch and I wanted to get right back in the stand. Cause I mean, during a rut over there or anywhere technically really, but during a rut, anytime during the day, not your hour before an hour after dark. The full on it's, like sprint, right? Yeah, like an actual rut, not something we've heard exists. But I've never seen on TV. Correct. Yeah, correct. Yeah. That's, that's the best way TV. to put it. I've seen on TV. There you go. And uh, I'm back in the stand for 1:30, and at uh, at 2:15, I was actually replying to a message to one of my friends on my phone, just joking around with him. And I looked down to my right, and the same way you talked about Frank Sullivan's deer and your caribou, it was absolutely the most gorgeous, biggest deer I've ever seen in my life. Mm. I mean, it was something you only see on a jury episode or something. I'm frozen. I mean, he's 10 yards from me, under me. I'm frozen right now, actually, Like <laughs> thinking about it. I'm sitting here with my phone in my hand, like, bows up on the hanger. Like, what do I do? And he's, like, he's kind of got something where he's not moving, but he's not, like, looking for me. He just knows someone or something is wrong. About five minutes passes, and he goes behind this little bush. Quickly throw my phone in my backpack, grab my bow. And he's walking right in, he's going to make a turn and get right in front of me. And sure enough, he walks out at 15 yards. I draw back. Remember, I drew back. My elbow kind of hit the tree, so I leaned forward. I looked up, and you can't trim lanes over there, so it's just, it is what it is. Yeah. And I looked over to the side to check my, my shooting lane, make sure it was good, and it was. And before I got back to anchor, my I just punched the trigger. Oh, no. I was just so ready. Like, it was a chip shot. Yeah. And my, my, like, I was, my nerves I had broken down. And I've, I've gotten buck fever after the shot, only after the shot. This is the first time I've ever, like, could not handle myself before the shot. Yeah. And then instantly had the lowest of lows when I saw the arrow just miss its mark. Mm-hmm. I mean, it... You went, hit him. Oh, absolutely. Went through and through, arrow in the ground, and he bounded off. And I'm just watching what is the biggest... If you ever seen a deer running away, that is absolutely the biggest he'll ever look. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, whether or not it's a 128... 120 inch eight point or a 200 inch anything i was just sick i text my dad i text my buddy i text everyone just so like where, where'd you hit him in my mind it would have been the middle third of its the middle third of its body so i thought it was straight through through intestines mm-hmm. that's what like my mind told me i knew it was back but when i like i didn't get down from the tree first thing i did is like, i started looking up online like tracking dogs Cause um, I'm, for I that area? I didn't yeah. know the area that well, and I was just like, I had actually just listened to a podcast, Wired to Hunt, by Mark Kenyon, that was, he interviewed a guy with a tracking dog. And the first thing he said was like, don't go walking around everywhere, because you're going to pick up the scent and move it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to go look anywhere, because he went into a brush pile that was just, it ended, it was like the size of a house. 
So I figured if he's in there, and I just get away, he's still gonna be in there in the morning if he if he's gonna uh, if his lethal hit. Well, we did all that. When I got down to the arrow, much to my surprise, it was red. Mm-hmm. I was gonna ask you what it looked like, yeah. Because like first, I was expecting green grit, all that the bad stuff, but like you know, had a, had a little blood trail. But in my, I still knew I could not go after the deer. Mm-hmm. It was the most sleepless night I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Replayed everything, and I had a camera sitting in the stand with me, but I had no time to turn it on. Uh, that would have yeah. that would have just like answered everything. But all I said was, I gotta get the shot off. I don't care if I get get it on camera. Mm. And it was a bad shot. And uh, we went look the next morning. Followed blood for like 150 yards, and then nothing. Got the dog out there that evening. The guy had to work, so he couldn't come right away. Mm-hmm. And he trailed him for a ways, like further than we had, but just it looked erratic, and we weren't we weren't making any progress. We had gone for a while on just like specs here and there. Now, what like as far as your whole time in uh, out of state on this hunt? What day is this for you? Day three, out of five. Five. Oh okay. well. So you're looking Six. for so him. It's, it's like the right in the middle. Gotcha. So you're looking for him on day four, right, with the dog. Correct. So what do you do the other two days? Well, y'all, y'all don't well, find him. Well, I did, so I didn't hunt the that next day. I looked, I waited, and um, we actually after we trailed the dog, we all kind of came to the conclusion that it must have been like a low belly shot, and he was gonna, it was non-lethal because if it would have been a lo- uh, gut shot, you'd have known by the arrow, mm-hmm. and if it would have been a double lung or any liver or anything he'd have been dead where we well, met more and, and um well, i've had a few people that have dogs that they say the gut, the gut shots are the easiest to track just because of how they smell oh, really? yeah. yeah yeah i ended up hunting that stand again and said i won't move this spot until i want to see this deer again i wasn't going to shoot anything else i wanted to have this deer come back and get it during this whole process since we were hunting on a public public land we had i called the game warden i was like look here's what happened i want to get a guy with a dog out here are there any rules against it? You know, dogs on the on public land. And he said technically you need to go during the. Uh, you can't have them uh, during the day, but if you can, you know, you can go there when you know. I'll give you permission to go. You know, as soon as you can. Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't find anything that night, and I hunted the whole th- the whole time after that, and just again, I felt sick. I didn't want to do anything else. But uh, we got home, and ten days later, I get a phone call from the guy that I, I called up with the dog. Mm-hmm. And he's like, man, uh, Game Warren just called me because I actually gave the Game Warren his card because mm-hmm. the Game Warren asked for it to, if anyone else needed a dog. And um, he's like, they found a big deer in the area you were hunting. And he said, if you can identify it, you know, if you can describe the antlers to him, the guy that found it may be willing to give it to you. Hmm. So, I mean, again, my, I, got, I got buck fever again on the phone on like a Wednesday afternoon in my house. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I just, I didn't tell anyone. My girlfriend was there with me. I told her. That was it. I was not about to get everyone's hopes, up hopes and excitement. Yeah. I, didn't want my, I didn't want my phone to be going off except for that one guy. Yeah. The dog tracker guy called me at like 8 p.m. I didn't get a phone call from anyone in Illinois until 2.30 the next day. Mm. <laughs> the longest day you can imagine. That's almost worse than waiting a full it, day for the rest of your friends to be flown in. Right. <laughs> <Which lines>? <laughs> <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> and I was actually driving across the causeway when I got a number from Illinois. And it was the game warden. Mm-hmm. And I talked to him for about 20 minutes. Like, he start, first started talking just like friends, like we are now. And he's like, all right, well, uh, can you describe the deer? And if you could, I mean, I saw the deer for only, a, well, I saw it for a few minutes under me. And then, like, a blackout second when I shot it. Mm-hmm. But only from one angle every time. He was always to my right. Well, he's to my right, looking at his left, 
and he was head on looking to look with his left facing me. And I just remember like looking at him and seeing his G2 head junk on it and his right, uh, I said he was like a mainframe 10 point, his G2 head kickers on it. And he was a very dark horn deer. I'm sorry, white horn deer. White horn. Yeah. Because that went back and forth later. Mm-hmm. So he talks about, he's like, well, you describe, I think you described enough to me at least. I'm going to give the guy your number and have him call you. So then about two hours later, this guy calls me. Again, it's, it's a waiting game the whole time. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we start talking. I describe it to him. And he asked me two questions. And he was like, I, need, I want you to send me the location you were at when you killed the deer. Obviously, to make sure it made sense. Mm-hmm. And then I need to know what, what broadhead you were shooting. So I did that, and I told him I was shooting a two-blade Rage Extreme. And uh, he called me back about 10 minutes later, and he was like, well, I sent him a location. He said, that's your deer. Wow. Because and like the, the broadhead question, he knew it was a really big opening two-blade broadhead. Mm-hmm. You know, that, Obviously, there's other ones that could do that same cut. But if someone would have told him it was a muzzy or a, a yeah, anything discount. else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they, he found it while he was uh, duck hunting one day. They, they uh, were in a boat, and they thought it was like a rock on the bank. And it was just his belly was bowed up. Mm. He said so he's he, in the water. Yeah, he said he reached into the, into the water to grab it. And he said just antlers just kept coming the whole time. Wow. So, uh, I mean, I can't thank those guys enough. that. So they contacted a game warden and told me what they found and just get a salvage tag. Mm-hmm. And then, like, one game warden told another one which was the one I talked to, and the story got back. That's wild. He was, I mean, honestly, the nicest. You can't find a nicer human being than he was. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. incredible. I mean, it, it really is incredible. So so now you went and drove back up there. The, when? when? The, so the first time I could go, like that was, I think he, he told me the Wednesday, of, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Okay. The first time I could go would be December 1st, and uh, I took off work and went. <laughs> we drove up. Drove right back. That's wild. Spent the whole day on the road, but uh, so what? He, now you've shown me this deer. Now what did he end up scoring? I'm not an official scorer, and he's kind of hard to score because of the, the uniqueness of it. Mm-hmm. But the general area we got to is around 183 inches. Wow, gross. Yeah. Good nice. night. <laughs> That's incredible. I'm I mean, out. when I was telling people like it was the biggest deer I've ever seen, that was not a. It wasn't even a, a stretch. Yeah, it was legitimately. He just, he's huge. Goodness gracious. That's and, massive. Um, you know, and I have him, he's getting mounted right now, and people will ask me, like, you know, what it, it wasn't a clean kill. Like, what do you think about it? And I will, per, I will always first admit that no, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. A deer of this caliber deserves to be respected and mounted. That's, mm-hmm. and I will always look at it and remember that I messed it up. Yeah. But it is just the most beautiful deer you will ever lay eyes on. Awesome. I mean, that's the odds of all those things lining up and coming back together and the contact information and the little pieces that add together for it to get back to you. I mean, that's unbelievable. Right. Because you have no idea who else was hunting that public land that day. Correct. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. a lot. It's, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's incredible that, that you've got people that are good all over the country because we and 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 not to get too philosophical here but we we live in a world where the only thing that we're ever really fed these days is bad stuff right i mean this is bad and this cancer this and and riot that and protest and political bullshit and and so every once in a while it's nice to remember that there's good people that 
are just as excited for you and they don't even know you. Well, the bad stuff sells, but the more you look at it, there's, I mean, there's tons of people just like me and you everywhere. Yeah. And what was so great about it is if you remember, like I wrote up the story and po- we posted it online on, at Louisiana Bowhunter. And a week later, someone found a deer in Tinsaw and yes. contacted you, yeah. you about getting in touch with that person. And yeah, it worked it was, out. It was Chris Williams. And that was just crazy. Chris, it was Chris Williams, one of our other contributors who hunts Tinsaw regularly. He came across a deer that um, had been dead for a, a couple of days, a day or two or something like that. Um, it was Chris, wasn't it? I, be, I believe so, but I don't remember exactly. Okay. Um, well, anyway, he took a uh, he brought it to the game warden station. Game it was no good to eat. It, it was kind of hot, and it had been there for a couple of days. But he still wanted to do the same thing. He wanted to give the deer back to its owner, and so we um, we posted something on Louisiana Bowhunter saying, "Hey, we found a deer. If you can send us where you had lost one in the past two days, because we're in our minds, we're like, well, it can't be that many people. Wrong. <laughs> a lot of people messaged us." A lot. Well, that's similar to when I was talking to the game warden. He was he said about thirteen people called to claim it. Oh my god! Not a sing, not a single person could even get close to the description or. Yeah. And I guess it goes back against what we were saying about a lot of good people, but a lot of people just want, <laughs> just wanted that deer. I'm, yeah, I deer know, change a lot of people. I yeah. know that I know multiple people knew of this deer. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, that, sure. there's, yeah. I know for a fact. <laughs> And so, you know, you've got, so what we did with Tinsaw was, um, it ended up being a woman that shot it. And I think she had shot it with a rifle because it was, they had been a rifle season just a few days before or primitive weapon or something short term. And, um, and so we had people messaging, messaging us for days, telling us full descriptions of deer that they had lost that week all over the property. And in, in my mind, I remember thinking in my head, I was like, how are we not finding more of these? If there are this many deer being lost a week on public land, like we should be tripping over them, you know? And, uh, and so then um, somebody said, that looks like what this girl told me she had shot and lost. Let me get you in touch with her. And so long story short, Chris and this woman met up and she had shot it kind of far back and it had died in some palmettos farther away from where she thought it would go. And gave it back to her, and it was this kind of a hero story in a sense. You know, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it was, I remember that, and it was just, I loved the idea that. Yeah. Maybe or maybe not, it was my story that helped them decide that, but it felt good to know that other people were doing the same thing. Yeah, and then and then on the other, we joked about this, and we just everybody listening, we would never actually do this, but it makes me like if I ever wanted to go hunt a brand new WMA and I didn't want to scout it, I should just put up a post: lost a deer, where'd you lose one, and then have everybody tell me their hunting spots. It's not right? a bad idea, actually, <laughs> <laughs> because that's how many people message us. And of course, we have never told anybody the messages are gone, but it was just incredible. It wasn't like two people; it was fifteen to twenty. Um, and I don't know if it was, I have no idea if it was people that just wanted a deer that was found or if they legitimately lost the deer within those three days on that WMA, you know, or that NWR, whatever it is. Um, but, um, so that's an incredible story, man. And it's definitely one that is obviously not the way you wanted it to end originally when you were drawn back on it, but I'm sure you're happy that you've got him on the wall or you will have him on the wall soon. Yeah, I'm happy. It was a closure. Like. I either wanted him, I either wanted to recover it, obviously, mm-hmm. or see it on like on uh, on hoof, yeah, during that week. 
the idea that my shot may, may, would have made it suffer for however long, it's just it's sickening. Like, yeah, you'd never want that. And I was that was the fifth animal since October first that I had shot, mm-hmm. and it was the only one. Sorry, sixth. It was the only one that I put a bad shot on, which makes it even worse because we had gone to Oklahoma, we killed three does. Mm-hmm. First time back back home, I shot two pigs. All of them, none of them ran over 100 yards. They were all just dead right away. And then the one thing you dream about at night comes up. Mm. And you lose all sense of um, motor functions, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I'm, well, I know the feeling too well, unfortunately. Um, well, let's, let's shift gears, man. I, I want to I talk to uh, – not sorry – Let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about what you have, Brandon, which is you yeah. own a company called Primetime Outfitters. Yes. Um, and you are located in wh- which part of Illinois are you in? South Central Illinois. It's uh, Benton is the closest big town mm-hmm. near where we're at. Gotcha. Okay. And so you are um, you run a guide service, right? Yeah, that's, that's correct. We, we run a guide service. We manage right about 2,500 acres, mm-hmm. and it's broke up between 11 different farms. So it. That's that's awesome. So these are mainly corn farms, right? Uh, this year it's ninety percent soybeans. This year, oh, okay. so it's going to be great early so season. Boys. Even yeah, better. Even better than last. Very cool. So how many um, how many people do y'all generally guide every year? Last year was our first year in business. This mm-hmm. is our second year, and last year we brought in fourteen guys, mm-hmm. and we had eighty five percent shot opportunity at Bucks. Wow. And. It was a shot opportunity. It was not a success rate. I will say that. <laughs> because it's not your it, job to kill the it's, buck. It's your job I to get the opportunity. I can't to make you buck. hit them. I yeah. can put, put them in front of you. I can't make you hit them. That's a good point. Very cool. So you are from Patterson, Louisiana. Yes, I'm from actually Bayou Vista. Same Bayou area. Vista. Yeah. We need to make sure we don't confuse yeah, the two. I'm not from Patterson. <laughs> <laughs> not, not from Patterson. Yeah, okay. So um, so you're from Bayou Vista. And yeah. you – so I know – you and Brandon Cormier and you have a big group of friends. Y'all would do yep. a, an annual trip up yeah, north actually, every year. Actually, Brandon invited us up there to go hunt some public land. Mm-hmm. And we met a lot of good people up there. And everybody wanted to know how they could come. How mm-hmm. can we come hunt Illinois? And I'm not the type of person that's going to invite somebody where I'm invited. Yeah. And that's kind of how the conversation got started and started shopping around and talking to different people. And next thing you know, we're up there Very outfitting cool. and bringing a little bit of Louisiana to Illinois every year. That's a great deal. That is a very neat, that's a, that's a very cool deal. So one of the things that I'm interested in is, um, people's, people's perception of deer up there versus what we have down here. How is it different from the locals for the locals up there? For the local, like, like the farmers, they just, they look at it as a nuisance. They welcome you with open arms. Oh yeah. Shoot them. Gotcha. Shoot as many of them as you can. Gotcha. So what, um, what is the season like? What's the, what are the tags like? How does that work for people? Ar- archery's over the counter. Your, your firearm seasons are draw. Luckily, we're in Franklin County. Majority of our farms are in Franklin County. We have a high success rate on draw for your firearm tags. They always have tags left over. So middle of October, you can go up and buy over the counter firearm tag, hmm. which is pretty cool. They, they have the quota and they know how many they want to sell. And that's how they, they work that out. But archery's over the counter. We offer a five-day hunt, five days, six nights. Everything's included except for your license. 
Okay. You show up and everything's there for you, meals, lodging, everything. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about your lodge. We have a three-bedroom farmhouse. It's uh, set up with three bunk rooms, two for the for the guests and one for the guides. And it's a one-on-one basis pretty much. You're going to get set up with a guide at the beginning of the week, and that's going to be your man through the week. Mm-hmm. And we bring you to the farms and everything. Do pretty much do everything we can to put you on a deer. Now, when you say when you say a guided hunt, you're not sitting there. No, with it, him, it's actually you? a semi-guided. Semi-guided. It's semi-guided. Yes. So I, you know, that's something that's pretty interesting to me because me personally, I don't think I would like a fully guided hunt. Yeah. I, I just I don't think I would enjoy that that much. It, like here, shoot that. Yeah, exactly. Um, now I'm not saying I would never do it, but um, to me utilizing your company as an outfitter in that area, it's like, um, it's the equivalent of like shaving a year or two off of, um, hard lessons learned on hunting out of state. Exactly. That's, that's the biggest thing. We see a lot of guys come in. They just don't have the time to put in Mm -hmm. and scouting and everything. You might only have a week off of work. Everybody gets vacation time. Yeah. You might only have five days that you can take who wants to go. Not everybody wants to go and, put that time in on public land hats off to the guys that do it it's hard yeah we've did it i grew up hunting public land in morgan city my whole life i know what it's like yeah and i mean they just don't have the time to put in and they come to us and it's not taking an easy route out some people think just because you're paying to hunt it's It's not yeah it's free range it's it's free range there's no there's there's no fences yeah we we always make that joke there's not even a low fence (laughs) and it's it's still hunting it's it's hunting for sure. So, um, can you give us an example of maybe some openings you have and your rates that people can can yeah, expect sure. to see? Uh, our op- we we run up to eight guys a week, mm-hmm. and we hunt opener, which is October first, just like Louisiana, and we charge two thousand dollars for that for five days for five days six nights with lodging with lodging food. meals everything included Damn. we debone your deer that's doable we, no doubt yeah, yeah exactly and what we're where we aim for is the working working class guy uh-huh. i'm from south louisiana you know how growing up always wanted to go on hunting trips here hunting trips there yeah oh we can't afford that we can't you know so what just, do you do what do you do when you're when you're not guiding what do you do when you're back home and working what's your occupation uh i drive airboats for a guy that owns buckfin and feathers even better <laughs> even i mean even more relatable right yep, like what exactly. more do you need people you have a a guide uh with a guide service in illinois and he literally drives airboats for i mean this is like stereotype <laughs> to the max right this yeah. is exactly you know and the other thing is is because I, I, I follow you on social media and you and i have been friends for quite a while but you go to the shrimp boats, get shrimp to feed people oh, yeah. before the season. If, if you can't catch it yourself or buy it in Louisiana straight from a fisherman, yeah, you won't eat it at Primetime Outfitters. Yeah, so the food is is just, I mean, if not better, just the same as it would be here. So for it's sure, not like, for sure. It's, it's always Gulf Fresh shrimp. We're not buying any Chinese imports or anything. Yeah. We don't try to sell it off as that. It's We bring a little bit of Louisiana. We call it the Cajun Invasion. There you go. That's awesome, man. So you've so I cut you off earlier, and I apologize. But you you hunt October first until yeah. when? October first through fifth is our opener. That's okay. our opening dates. Then we usually come back in the last two weeks of October, mm-hmm. so the farms don't get hunted until then. Then you start kicking off your pre rut and your rut, and then we run through first shotgun, and then we take a break until second muzzleloader. Mm-hmm. So you told me something a few months ago 
that I thought was really unique. So you hunt so many pieces of property around there that you will rotate them. Yeah. Correct? Yes, correct. So uh, we've heard things about other outfitting services where people say the stand is still warm warm from the guy that was sitting in it that morning. No. That's not y'all. No, that's not us. We, we have about 11 farms, and they range from 60 acres up to 600 acres. Wow. And once you kill a deer in a stand, we're moving it. It's not the stands that we put up, they don't stay there all year. Okay. We're still hunting just as if we were hunting public land. Everything changes. It's Now, what <clears throat> what kind of stands are you, do you all have set up there? We run ladder stands and lock-ons. And actually this year, you know my buddies at Old Cypress Outdoors, we uh, we teamed up with them. They came out with a great product, man. It's going to help us out a lot. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. They have a lock-on stand that you don't really have to find a straight tree anymore. Yeah. They figured it out. There's some guys from back home. Corey was actually the best man at my wedding. Oh, was he? Yeah, he, he's a real that. good friend. And uh, Seth actually stood my wedding also. Really? Yeah. We're all homeschool. Well, not homeschool. Homegrown guys from yeah. Bayou Vista. From Bayou Vista. Yep, yeah. from Bayou Not Vista. Patterson. Not Patterson. Clarify, <laughs> yeah. we're, they're not from Patterson. We're not from Patterson. We went, <laughs> we went to Burrow High School. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> And, um, I mean, their stands weigh 12 pounds. They have a great concept. Oh, nice. well, it, it's real mobile. Well, so, uh, yeah, I am very familiar with OCO and, and Corey and Seth. And, and we met them. I met them for the first time uh, at the March Sportsman Show um, in Gonzales, which is their first time. Yep. That, was, that them, was their first show. That was them kind of releasing their yep. product originally. Yep. Yep. So the thing that's really interesting about it is um, it, has a, it has a seat system that is, uh, as far as, uh, ergonomics is somewhat similar to a millennium seat. It's a stretched fabric, yep, yep, right? A stretched um, nylon. I don't it's, know. A, it's a nylon material. Yeah, nylon yep. material. It's stretched between two spreader bars, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, and then the whole thing folds up flat. The, the, it has two incredibly unique, actually three incredibly unique features of it. Actually, more than it that. has more as, wait, a, as more. I say that yeah <laughs> but wait there's more as I say that I'm thinking about all the things that the stand does um, so it has a, a I don't know what they call it but it's similar to a cam lock system where yes, you, you you hang a um, uh, you hang the strap and the receiver hitch yep. on the tree mm-hmm. and then you um, first and then you hang the stand second and the way that it offsets is it has these two um, gripper feet, if you will. They're like uh, they're like arms that are serrated. That if you need to offset the stand right or left, you um, this kind of hugs the tree temporarily until you get a strap on it, and yep. then you strap it down, and it makes it rock solid. Um, and so I look at it, and I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, you could use this with a single strap system mm-hmm. if you had a straight tree and, and use it just like you would a millennium where you put Correct. it in you know, one, one place and hang it and climb in it. Or if you have something where you need to forcibly put it at a different angle, Correct. you can do that as well to where you can have it in an offset limb or a tree or a trunk or whatever. Get back to hunting deer and not trees. Yeah, yeah, hunt deer, not trees. And so um, the other thing that's really neat, uh, the other thing that's really unique about it is the leveling system. Yes. And it has two types of leveling systems. It has a block underneath the seat that has different um heights yes to where you can rotate it and make the seat sit at different angles four different angles if i'm not mistaken and then um, beyond that it has adjustable stand heights as well with their 
kind of cable and thimble system yep. and multiple it can be adjusted up to 10 different different angles for like almost micro adjustment yep. if you if you will um and so not only is it light and uh and mobile and adaptable to multiple different types of trees but the other thing is they have a set of climbing sticks as well that lock interlock together and then those interlock within the stand in three seconds yeah for sure it doesn't take much to to strap them down and get rolling again and the guys that come up with this design they're hunters themselves they know where other companies have shorted us Mm -hmm. just for instance straps they have eight foot straps on all their sticks Mm -hmm. that makes a world of difference especially hunting in the midwest another unique thing about them is that uh they are a local company. Correct. They are. Correct. They're made in. Well, I don't want to say Patterson. Is it Patterson? Bayou Vista. If it's in, it's <laughs> yeah, in it's Bayou in Bayou Vista. Vista. Okay. It's in they Bayou are Vista. Built, made here in Louisiana in Bayou Vista. So these are our neighbors, yeah, pretty correct. much. These are guys that we know and run into all the time, making a product that we use um, as hunters, and that, in my opinion, I think we need to support them not only because they have a great product, but also out of principle the fact that like we need to support our local our local, local economy guys, right? exactly um and so they may and i'm not saying this is an inferior product buy it out of principle no. i'm saying if you're in the market to buy a new tree stand and you're going to be least, buying four at five, least check it out go you, talk to them. you will definitely be blown away yeah and listen to these guys talk about the product they have i'm not one to kind of bullshit people and say i'm not one to hype something up that i don't believe in but this is what i'm going to be hunting out of this yeah, year sure um this is what uh, a lot of my friends are going to be hunting out of this a, a is lot what, of my clients are going to be hunting out you're, of you're yeah. hanging yeah right? exactly and we we use millenniums before and everything and i mean you always want to help your buddies out but whenever they come out with a product that goes neck and neck with the big with the big companies well, you, and, and they're you, right there you in do line what you got to do to make they're it happen. right there in line on price as well yeah, you know, exactly. They're exactly. Not more expensive. They're also not sportsman's guide. They're not right? sportsman's guide. They take pride in their work. Yeah. It's all handmade. It's not mass produced. Yeah. Each one is these guys work full time jobs and then do this. Yeah. And and you know, and this is something a little bit of a side topic that I think we need to bring up because this happens occasionally to me and it doesn't bother me that much. But I have some other business owner friends in the in the state. That are some are in the outdoor industry, some are not. Some they have totally unrelated businesses. But um, something that drives me crazy is when people want a discount for no reason. It's sure. it drives me nuts. Like for example, I would love to come up and hunt with you one day. I would never say, "Hey, Brandon, you, you this hunts fifteen hundred. I'll give you a yeah. thousand. Do, do it for me," mm-hmm. because I know just from following you on social media, I know how often you go up there. Oh. I know how often you make that 10 hour drive one way exactly. just to check trail just, cameras, just, just check trail cameras for two days and come to back, change batteries out exactly. just to make sure that the camp hasn't burned down. And so we've got to support our friends in their endeavors for sure. Okay. Especially, especially when we know that they are cash funded, personally financed bootstrapped businesses. Yeah. And, and so the, the, if you want to be that great friend, Buy something mm-hmm. and don't ask for a discount. Mm-hmm. It's not that we don't want to give you a discount. It's that we want our business to succeed and we want, I want your business to succeed. And I, I speak with Brian at Gator Coolers about this fairly often. He's probably the most vocal about it. Um, so I don't think he'll bother, he'd be bothered by me bringing this up because he calls people out on this all the time on the Gator Coolers account. Yep. What does he, what does he say? I need no new friends that need, that want a free cooler <laughs> or something like that. If you want a free cooler, we can't be friends or something like that. But the fact is, is that there are, invested dollars and time and effort that that we put into things 
that um, when if you want a piece of it, we would love to have you. For but sure. Please for don't sure. come in saying and trying to cut us down on price because we know each other. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that we went to high school to each other doesn't mean that you get to have a, a five day hunt for eight hundred bucks. Correct. And so, and I'm not trying to speak for you or anything, but just in general, this has, this doesn't even have anything to do with hunting. If you have a friend that cuts lawns for a living, pay him forty bucks. If he's asking forty five, pay him forty five. You know, you are in his route. He's got to make money. If you are that good it's of a still friend, still a business. At the end of the day, it's still business. They invested time, money. Yeah, it's a gamble sometimes. It, too. Oh, it's a gamble. It's a big gamble. Some of the things that I have been told about. Uh, from by by people I know about um, old Cypress is or not even my friends but people that I see on the internet make comments like oh I can buy a Millennium for that or I can buy this for that and it weighs half a pound less or whatever it's made in China you don't yeah. know the owner of that company exactly you don't like if you really want something cheap trust me I understand that go buy it from Sportsman's Guide for thirty nine dollars with mm-hmm. a set of twenty foot sticks that it comes with for free. Go do that. But if you want one deer stand and you know that that deer stand, every time you hunt in it, is in some way, shape, or form going to make a true dif- dis- difference in somebody else's life, go buy an old Cypress. Exactly. They're better. They're reasonably priced, especially for what the hunting industry has gone to these days. That is, like the, to, in my opinion, the pinnacle reason as to why we should be supporting these people. Um, it's not because we want a better deal on something. It's because I want you to succeed. Therefore, I'm going to come book a hunt with primetime or I'm going to, it's even, it's even our bow shops. You know, we become friends with our bow techs and you don't go to, you don't go to Brandon Cormier and say, Hey man, this, this triax is 1200. Can you do nine? What would he say to that? It just depends. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. And so um, it, it doesn't doesn't fly that well, man. So um, I think that's kind of kind of where we should where we should end it a little bit on this conversation. It's uh, it's been great talking to y'all. Um, and I would actually, Ryan, I think it's going to be cool hearing from you next week or two weeks from now when you get back from your hunt. We should have you back on a podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I would and do an update. I would love to. And uh Hopefully, well, it's going to be a good story no matter what. I know I'm going to learn a lot more than I bring home if I had to, mm-hmm. if I had to uh, venture a guess. Who knows what we're going to encounter? Yeah, it may it may be one of those deals where we come back with a big bull, or I may get a a younger cow. Either way, it, I cannot wait. Yeah, I'm excited for you, man. Yeah, because I've awesome. always wanted to do that. Yeah, that's on my bucket list. Is well, that's the Colorado thing. Colorado And I wanted to say this earlier. I was like, you mentioned the the TV thing. I grew up. We all grew up watching TV and. The idea of hunting in the Midwest or hunting elk or anything wasn't even realistic. It was never going to happen. Yeah. But the more you look into it, it's possible. Oh, it's very possible. I mean, just just take a dive and go. Like, any state. Mm -hmm. Not just those two per se, but like, there's elk seasons in like 11 states, I believe. There's whitetail seasons in every state except for maybe Alaska and Hawaii. Mm -hmm. But there's public land on all those states. Yeah, you just go. You don't have to go that far either. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, Tennessee and Kentucky have great deer that it's kind of quiet. There's a lot of places you can potentially hunt. Arkansas, Missouri, they're all just look look on a map, study it out, take a shot. Yeah. And, I mean, we do have great hunting in Louisiana. We do. Sometimes it is very time sensitive as to when that is. Sometimes there's great pieces of land that are publicly accessible that it could be pretty good relatively all the time. I don't right. want to say every, every hunt, but, um, there are better pieces than others. But the reality is, is if it's a piece of public land, it has deer on it. 
the state has provided that for us. The mm-hmm. rest is on you. Yep. You correct. know, the work you put in, the scouting and the effort and the time of the stand, that's on you. I think the reason why we're talking about this out-of-state topic today uh, for our audience is because there are a lot of people that have maybe gone 2, 5, 10, 20 years hunting public land, and they might just be at a point in their life. It might be financially at a different point. It might be ex- a point of exhaustion in their life of like the repetitive same season over and over. But they're like, if I'm going to sit in a stand, I want to see something. I want to see some deer. I want to see five deer. I want to see a shooter buck. I want to see a 150-inch whatever. And the reality is is that opportunity isn't that far out of reach. You will have to drive a little ways to get there. Also, the other beauty of this might sound silly, but we live in the United States. We can go to any other state and hunt at any point in time. Correct. You could wake up at 3 in the morning and drive to Georgia and go hunting. You yeah, know? definitely. And, and so, like, if this was... Europe and we lived in different countries instead of different states you couldn't just do that yeah you know and so if you've got it available and it's in front of us and and the only thing that it takes is your level of give a shit essentially Mm -hmm. and motivation to want to go do it the only thing standing in your way is you technically it doesn't even have to be about a financial obligation you can sleep in your truck if you want it bad enough yeah I was gonna say you can you can go out and stay in a hotel and eat out every night or you can bring your own stuff and stay in a tent it just Mm -hmm. depends what you want to do if you are worried about waiting till you know you don't want to miss out on a weekend for deer hunting back here, September first, I want to say Kentucky opens, and yeah. September fifteenth, Missouri, Missouri opens. opens there's, there's seasons that start before we do, so you can get a, get out of yeah, get out ahead of it before our season even even opens up. Yeah. Well, Brandon, let me ask you this: um, Is it too late for you, for people to contact you to hunt this year? This year, we are sold out. Really? Yeah, that's we are, awesome. We are actually so this year. Man. Appreciate it, man. It, it's been a long road, and we're looking forward to this year. We have some some pretty good groups coming in, awesome. and but we always have 2019. We're gonna start booking in January, mm-hmm. and uh, they can follow us on Facebook, any social media, and we'll post our dates that we have available. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, I know you tag us in all the picks whenever you have some Louisiana guys yep. killing up there. Yep. So I'm, I can't wait to see that this year. But ninety percent of our guys are from Louisiana. Yeah, awesome. come hunt up there. That's 90% cool. Of yeah, get, well, some, it's get only, a Louisiana bow hunter rack uh, out there for shirts and yeah, hats. That's what we need. We yeah. need our apparel in your in your lodge <laughs> yeah, in Illinois. What's the the drive distance from say Baton Rouge to there? It takes about nine hours. It's it's okay. like six hundred and forty five miles from my house. From, from, from Morgan's, from, from, not Bay, from Bayou Vista. Yeah. It's, uh, it's right at 10 hours. We go up 55 and we jump off on 57. We're about an hour and a half, two hours into Illinois. South Illinois is by far the biggest kept secret of Illinois. Mm-hmm. And everybody always hears about the Golden Triangle, Pike County, and everything like that. And you look at the outfitters they have in that county compared to where we're at. We're in Franklin County. And it's probably about 20 to 1. Wow. So our draw rate is way higher than them. We, cool. we have we have better access to tags and everything like that. Very cool. I say we we wrap it, wrap it up, man. I appreciate both of y'all coming in and doing this podcast with yeah, us. I had a good time. Great luck uh, to you this season. Great luck to you, Ryan. Uh, next week. Next week. <laughs> yeah. And uh, let's catch up on a couple of podcasts from now, and and maybe we'll do a season update with you. That'd yeah, be cool. That'd, that'd be, be really good. cool to do. Yeah, we can uh, do that. Brandon. So all right. Well, until next time, y'all be good. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you've got anybody you want to hear on the podcast, send us an email at info at 
or send us a PM on Facebook or Instagram, and we'll be sure to get back with you. We also want to say a big thank you to our two sponsors, Cousin Smokehouse and Steve German's Taxidermy Art. We appreciate everything you do for us, and we could not put this podcast on without you. Make sure that you're following Louisiana Bowhunter on Instagram, on Facebook, and also LouisianaBowhunter.com, where we make sure to update daily with new information, pictures, videos, and articles about deer hunting in the state. So we'll see you every Monday at 8 a.m. Until next week, thank you.